Welcome back to another episode of Disney Versus, where it is Black History Month, and I'm still waiting for Disney to put Song of the South on Disney Plus. Stop being bitches. Thank you. Here, here. This is also the podcast where we have animated discussions about animated movies. I'm Tori. I'm Grace. We have the lovely John Pickett here for this episode. How are you, John? Hi, guys. Doing great. Happy to be here. Happy to have you. Yeah, welcome back. It's been a minute. We are back today, back in our series, Bracket of the Ages. Today we are discussing the eight films from the Bronze Age from 1970 to 1988. Uh, This is also considered the Dark Age of Disney Animation where there were a lot of critical and commercial failures for the company. We're going to try and keep it light and positive for this. Are we? As much as humanly possible. (laughs) It'll be fine. I'm much more feeling that Dark Age vibe than the Bronze Age vibe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mostly. Before we do that, John, we're going to start with you. What you watching? What am I watching? Oh, man. Well, over the past few days, Bronze Age Disney movies. Um, Ooh. Been rewatching Ted Lasso. Ooh. When's the new season supposed to come out? That's a great question. Got my laptop here. I keep, I, like, my Google history, like, one of the top results is Ted Lasso season three because I've been asking that, like, every week. I cancel my Apple Plus membership until it comes back, and then I'll renew it for a Yeah. Week. Definitely worth it. Yeah. I love that, like, I binged that, and then I my parents came for a holiday two years ago, and they binged it in like two days. <laughs> Still nothing there. There will okay. be another season at some point. Grace, what you watching? I finished Wednesday finally, and I'm I'm glad I took my time with it. I really enjoyed it, and as soon as it was finished, I wish there was more. I started watching Jack Ryan. I'm I just started the second season, and I love it. It's kind of kind of born identity esque. Um, but the main character is a finance dude who kind of gets gets roped into doing CIA is, uh, field work. Is that the show with uh, John Krasinski? Yes, that was hot. Yes, that's also part of it. It's got dad uh, energy. <laughs> um, I finished Westworld, and I know I'm late to the party, but like. It didn't need to happen. That that season didn't need to exist. I think the first two seasons were good, and then we should have stopped. Uh, I've been playing a fuck ton of Dreamlight Valley. I've unlocked all of the zones. They're coming out with new zones this year, because apparently it's in beta testing still. Um, I'm going to get more characters. But yeah, right now I'm on a pumpkin patch mission. Like, get as many pumpkins. Because it's like 30k a patch. It's great. It's Anyway, um, I'm I'm in a zone. Uh, I will not lie. As I was watching several of these movies this week, the ones that I remembered more, I did watch all of them, but the ones that I remembered more, I was playing Dreamlight Valley on my Switch. But in other news, not what you're watching, but what you're listening to, I'm listening to Beyonce's Renaissance because Beyonce announced her world tour today. So, woo! Nice. 
started the day off with good news. I'm not even going to dream about thinking about possibly being able to want to go to that. So. Uh, you should. If you get if you get Dallas tickets, like, maybe. Oh, I'm going to try and go to the Houston show. I don't I'm know. Gonna to, I'm going to have to save someone's life and just, like, yeah. a, like a genie, just here, magically, Beyonce tickets. <sighs> yeah. I, it's going to be a fight, especially after the Taylor Swift incident. Um, and nothing but, has been fixed. And I'm holding out hope. Um, I So they have three different zones. So like the concerts are broken up into three zones. Um, and so you can register to, to get a code for each of those zones. Um, so basically they're only selling a certain block of venues at a time. So I think that'll help a little bit. The problem is like the ones I'm most interested in, the closest one to me is Louisville. I think that one will be pretty easy. Um, but it's the last block and the first block has Houston and like, that's her hometown. You know, that's where she, that, you know, that's going to sell out. Mm-hmm. It's the second to last show. I'm, I'm a little sad. It's not the last show. It's the second to last show. I would love to go with my parents because I remember them taking me to the Houston rodeo to see Destiny's Child, but that's what I'm holding out hope for. What are you watching? The Oscar nominations were announced not too long ago. I think it was last week at this point. So I've started my yearly watching or catching up of Best Picture nominees that I haven't seen. When they announced them, I have I had only seen two, which was Avatar The Way of Water and Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is my pick for Best Picture right now. <laughs> I watched Tar. Do you not like Everything Everywhere All at Once? I haven't finished it yet. That's how much I didn't like it. What? It, you gotta finish it. it. Felt, no, because you know what? Like, I get it. I get it felt like a movie that was doing the outrageous things to say it's art. Um, and like I acknowledge how it's pulling the Asian community into the limelight in a way that like hasn't been done in a traditional like American movie way that just hasn't been done before. Um, I do think it was beautiful. I think the acting was incredible. I just don't care for that kind of storytelling. And Uh, so it felt like art for art's sake. Like I have the same issue with Kill Bill. But Rakakuni Grace. Anyway. I really wanted to like it. And the soundtrack is very good. It is. So I was disappointed. Um, I want to pick that up. But I was watching, I I watched Tar the other day, which stars Kate Blanchett as, um, a conductor and we are all musicians so the the opening scene where she's having a conversation about Mahler 5 and like the the writing and Mahler's relationship to it it's just like my attention was wrapped while I was watching the thing and I really enjoyed it I have yet to see that yet and I really want to (laughs) yeah watch it it's really great yeah I don't think I knew it was about a conductor that's that's super exciting. And a female conductor. Yeah, I had someone on my staff tell me that it was about music. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm in. I don't care what it's about. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, great performance. Really weird, uh, really weird turn towards the end. But I, I really enjoyed it. Mm. I don't want to say anything other than it's about a female conductor because I think I spoiled it for one of my staff members. So I don't want to spoil it for any listeners who haven't seen it or y'all. Also, I watched uh, one of the the best animated short films came out, and I was looking through the list to see if any any Disney shorts 
uh, were nominated. And there's a short film, a- short animated film called My Year of Dicks. Is it Disney? No, no, not at oh, all. Okay, okay. <laughs> yes, Disney released an animated short film called yeah, My I Year mean... of Dicks. <laughs> I didn't think so, but you were saying that you were looking for Disney stuff. In there. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, I, I was not clear. No, this was not the Disney animated one. I don't think there was one, but I I read the description of what it was about, and it's about this girl from Houston who is trying to lose her virginity. And I was like, huh, that's animated? Okay. And it's just a bunch of, it's told in five parts, and it's, for every part, it's a different animation style. So it's really interesting, like, subject matter aside, it's, it's very interesting to look at and everything mm-hmm. and it's like uh 20 it's like i think it's a 25 minute short it's really good oh wow have you watched sex education i have not it's very good it's on netflix um but uh there's a similar character uh in that series i've been re-watching it recently to introduce matt but basically sex education is about um, a kid whose mom is a sex therapist, he's in high school and he starts giving sex therapy to his teenage peers. Um, and it's, it's written in modern day, but the aesthetic of the show is kind of set in the late eighties. Um, so it's, okay. it's kind of fun and retro and I love the characters. It's very smart and pithy. When you, every time you mention it, I make a note that I wanted to see it because I like uh, Asa Butterfield and I forget who plays his mom, but I like her too. Isn't it Jillian Anderson? Yes. Okay. And yeah. she's phenomenal and I want her wardrobe so bad, but also she's phenomenal in it. Let's do some quick news talk so we can get into this bracket. Um, like I said, Oscar nominations came out recently and Turning Red was nominated for Best Animated Picture. And I'm going to be completely honest, it's going to get demolished by Pinocchio because that's been the narrative this year. Guillermo mm-hmm. del Toro's Pinocchio, which I still haven't finished. I'm probably going to do it after we record. I'm sorry. It looks phenomenal, the 30 minutes of it that I've seen. I haven't watched it yet because I don't like the story of Pinocchio. So what? you finish and let me know. No, I don't like it. Okay. We've talked about this probably two or three times. This is I'm a, with you. I'm not, not crazy about it. This yeah. one doesn't seem... It's it looks super creepy because it's Guillermo del Toro, not because little boys are turning into donkeys after drinking and smoking. See, I think um, I'm probably more interested because it's Guillermo. Yeah, del and Toro. I think Guillermo del Toro right is tapping into the original Italian story of Pinocchio, not the Disney one that everyone knows, even oh. though they're very similar. Congrats to Turning Red for for best animated picture. Congrats to Pinocchio for winning. Calling it now. <laughs> Avatar The Way of Water was nominated for four uh, Oscars, and Black Panther Wakanda Forever was nominated for five. And like I said, the animated short films are hilariously named, and I just wanted to shout those out right now. We have, and these are all the names, An Ostrich Told Me the World is Fake and I Think I Believe It, Ice Merchants, The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse, the Flying Sailor, and the aforementioned My Year of Dicks. <laughs> Those are the names of the best animated short films. That's pretty great. That's a really long title. And Ostrich told me the world is fake, and I think I believe it. Yeah. I hope it wins just for that sake. Right. So we have to say that name like multiple times on stage. Right. Yeah. What, what a great name. Not animated, but Tron Ares has been announced. The long-awaited 
third film in the Tron franchise has been announced. The catch is it's supposed to star Jared Leto. So mm, okay. I I heard I read the the headline and I was excited and upset just in the span of half a second. It's like someone made delicious pancakes and then they were dropped on the floor immediately. Why? Like I think he's been very good in some of the things that he's done. Tron is a very nerdy franchise and it's a very nerd very special nerd movie. My yeah. interaction with his interaction with nerd franchises, see Morbius, see Suicide Squad, uh, see. It's not been good. Was he in Batman v Superman briefly? But it hasn't been good. Everything else, okay. a lot of other things, I won't say everything else. Some other things have been very good. I know he is an Oscar winning actor, speaking of the Oscars, mm-hmm. but his most recent output when it comes to nerdy stuff has been less than satisfactory and especially with tron being a hanging by a thread franchise where are we getting something are we gonna Mm -hmm. get is the franchise dead to me tron shouldn't be a fan like it's a great story i really loved the new version i watched the old version it's it's old um i really really enjoyed the new version and having daft punk do the soundtrack was the saving grace um but beyond that like i don't i don't need more but i'm also happy for disney to make a ride based on that movie yeah it's a no-brainer for that one my thing was i think tron is a is a textbook cult classic film because the Mm -hmm. first one was groundbreaking i don't think it sold well or was well reviewed but it was groundbreaking and it has its audience and the same with tron Mm -hmm. legacy like the things that you mentioned um the visuals were fantastic it's one of those movies that i remember seeing in 3d and was like oh this is one of the best 3d experiences i've ever seen second to maybe avatar um and of course the music was was phenomenal so good is is one of the soundtracks that i go back and listen to regularly um right and what's interesting like graphic wise like there's not that much dimension to it like think of the color scale for that movie it's mostly blue and black Mm -hmm. and white like that's it you've got you've got those tones scaled throughout while you're in the tron universe and i thought it was a beautifully told story like i think I'm going to have to go rewatch Tron. That's what I've gotten from this. The problem with that franchise is it it never sells well, but fans love it. And then it lays dormant for a while. And it's it same thing. Someone if they picks do it make up. this movie, someone's going to pick it up. And it's going to be, it's probably going to look great. And then the move, something's going to be wrong with it. And then it's not going to sell. And then people are going to be like, it gets found later. I can't pronounce this director's name. And I should have looked it up. But he directed Maleficent, The Mistress of Evil, the sequel to Maleficent, and Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales, which is the fifth Pirates movie. So he has a track record with Disney. So, I mean, I imagine it's going to be a competently made movie. Both of those Mm -hmm. films are special effects and makeup heavy. So that's exactly what you need for a Tron film. And speaking of Daft Punk, with their breakup, I'm kind of not hopeful for the movie unless one or both of them come back to do the music which would be 
enough for me I to mean, go and see the movie, honestly. I mean, this isn't supposed to be a continuation of the last movie, right? Of Tron Legacy? Um, I think it's not what I read. It's not supposed to be a reboot. So it's supposed to be a continuation of that world. Whether okay. whether the Flynn characters, the Flynn family is going to be in it. It's yet to be seen. I would love to see like go back and do Depeche Mode or something like that. Like <laughs> do a throwback because like you're not going to get Daft Punk and I don't know who I'm I'm sure there's someone who does Daft Punk in a different way that would work. I mean, you could get Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross and like Skrillex and be fine. God, that's true. Actually, yeah, Skrillex and Trent Reznor. You're right. That's it. That's mm-hmm. all you need. Great. Done. We got to say goodbye to a couple of actors who have passed away or not actors, but Disney adjacent people. Uh, Carol Cook, who was the voice of Pearl, the farmer in Home on the Range, passed away. I was looking through lists and I just found her name. And I know Home on the Range isn't one of the most highly spoken of movies on this podcast, but wanted to give her a couple of flowers. And uh, Gregory Allen Howard, the screenwriter of one of my favorite films, Remember the Titans, passed away. He is, and good that it's the beginning of Black History Month. He was the first screenwriter of color to write a spec script for a movie that ended up making $100 million plus. Oh, damn. It's a very big qualifier, but still a big achievement for a person of color. And, I mean, any disney or sports movie fan can quote remember the titans i can't grace <laughs> what am i'm I sorry do? i failed you i know i i i failed you i'm sorry grace are we doing a sports bracket <laughs> are we doing a sports movie bracket no you know why because one of the movies from this movie made me cry and it made me think about the basketball movie from disney tv where the kid was on a basketball team and oh bud air bud i don't know air bud oh my god i cried because he <laughs> how did you he how did takes, you miss air bud <laughs> i couldn't remember the name but i oh distinctly gosh. i distinctly remember he like takes his dog on a ferry or something like goes to an island drops his dog off and says goodbye and like yells at him to go away and i bawled and like something like that happened in one of these movies and i was crying Grace, I think you're getting like 12 different things confused. No, I'm not. That's that's Air Bud, I think. I don't think that's Air it, Bud. It was a Disney movie on Disney Channel with a dog and basketball. I think that's only Air I Bud. I think Air Bud was a Disney Channel thing. It was just a Disney... It was just Disney live action movies, right? Yeah. I mean, I yeah. just saw it on Disney Channel. That doesn't mean it was like... Okay, Disney movie with dog and basketball i'm sure this is air bud it's it's also like not something that i've seen since i was in the single digits so i could be <laughs> misattributing this to someone but i'm pretty sure we are here today to talk about the bronze era bracket before we do that and while we check out if grace is actually talking about air bud let's see what a uh, modern mouse has to say about the bronze era of Disney animation. Throughout the 1970s and early 1980s, the Disney animation team was changing. While Disney's animators were retiring or even dying, 
while a new generation of animators were stepping in. The only problem was, there was no real leader like there had been. With Walt Disney's passing happening in 1966, the animation team, along with the other divisions of the Walt Disney Company, felt directionless. Walt's death brought on many trials for the Walt Disney Company as a whole, but nobody felt it more than the animation team. The team that had built an empire was lost and would almost be crushed during Disney's Bronze Era, or, as many like to call it, Disney's Dark Age. Walt Disney passed away in 1966 while his animation studio was in production with The Jungle Book. The company grieved his death, but they still had a job to do. The Jungle Book would come out 10 months later, in October of 1967. After The Jungle Book, the animation team still had hope as they went back to stories that had previously been discussed with Walt. Right before his death, he had approved what would become the next film after The Jungle Book, The Aristocats. Thanks again to Josh from Modern Mouse for uh, helping us with the clips and everything. So what about Airbud? In our break, I googled and came up with a tweet from Shady Penguin. What movie has a little boy yelling at a dog, go on, get, we don't want you anymore, which is the scene that made me cry and I was reminded of from one of the movies that we're going to talk about. Not Lassie, not Old Yeller. It was Airbud, And then there are multiple people who confirm that it was Airbud. So it's what? fucking Airbud, Tori. Thank you, Twitter. I know they're like under a tree. Okay, guess I got to watch Airbud now. You rewatch it and tell me, and then I won't have to cry again. Okay, I'll take one for the team. <laughs> like I usually do. Rude. I'm the one watching these terrible movies. I'm the one. Listen, who had to watch I watched all eight of these. <laughs> there was some movie that I watched because no, it was the sequels. A lot of the Disney sequels I watched, so y'all, that was you rough. and Heather didn't have to. A lot of those are. So it's been a minute since we did a uh, bracket, a uh, era's bracket. So let's remind you of the rules um, and how the bracket was constructed. The way we got these rankings, uh, they were derived from these movie scores from Rotten Tomatoes, Metacritic, and IMDb. We are going to take 10 minutes per matchup, roughly. There are three of us today, so we don't have Heather the Coin to decide uh, tiebreakers. And as usual, if you make a hot take or a stronger divisive point, please explain it. Y'all ready to go? Ready. Our first matchup we have is the four seed the Aristocats, versus the five seed, The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. I was mad. In general, I'm mad about how this bracket is set up. How is Oliver and Company the eight seed? Because it got savaged by critics. Rough. Literally rough. John, what did you think about The Aristocats versus The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, which is not the same as Winnie the Pooh? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, that is a tough first-round matchup. These were two of my top three movies in this category. Yeah. My, my personal ranking. Yeah. Um, that's tough. Um, uh, man, where, where to begin? Like, I've just always had... I mean, I, I've always had a personal love for Winnie the Pooh. All things mm-hmm. Winnie the Pooh. I mean, it's, it's just... I mean, it was... No matter what generation you grew up in, it's something that was around when you were a kid. Um mm-hmm. Through TV shows, other movies, and everything that came about, um, and it, it was just a lot of fun to go back as an adult and sort of relive that because <clears throat> it's even like 
Yes, it's probably one of the most childish movies, maybe, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But there's still some things that I can, like, I, I laughed. I laughed several times, especially things I didn't laugh at as a kid. Um, like, just some of, like, some, Winnie the Pooh is known for his, like, his phrases, his sayings. And they're, they're great. <laughs> they're just really, mm-hmm. like, I think a lot of people in this world could learn a lot from Winnie the Pooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was giggling. I was singing along. I was I was being super goofy while I was watching too. I know that a lot of people negative aspect about that about this particular Winnie the Pooh movie is that it's not a movie. It's just a bunch of shorts thrown together. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think they tie those shorts together so well because that's all it's supposed to be. Really enjoy it. Beavis the Cats has great music. One of the most more memorable songs of this era for sure. They're both just super charming. Man, it's a tough first round. Mm-hmm. Um. Everybody wants to be a cat. Iconic. There's nothing particular. At least for me, that I didn't think there was anything particularly groundbreaking with that movie. There was still and that's the first one of this era, so there's still hints of the previous generation in it, kind of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As far as like the overall narrative of the story is, it just feels like you can definitely see the influence there. This has shades mm-hmm. of 101 Dalmatians in the music, especially in the songs. Yes, too. but Absolutely, also yeah. in the storytelling. I was I was thinking about while I was watching Aristocats, like how many Disney movies are there about animals being kidnapped or like stolen in transportation? Like 101 Dalmatians, this, um, Lady and the Tramp. <laughs> it's not an uncommon theme. I um, so I watched the Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh last night and Aristocats today, and. The first story, I I like that the mini adventures of Winnie the, the Pooh is done in stories. It's done like chapters of a book. And I think it ties in that storyline really well where it's like Pooh is on page 160. Like I, I think that's cute and clever and they do it really well um, to move the story forward and also kind of engage in like this is storytelling is not just watching it's also reading and and this is how we're tying into that i know that i've watched this before but in the first section it's talking about Pooh gets stuck in rabbit's entry hole (laughs) that sounds wrong but like entry doorway that's shaped like a hole and i was not astonished but i was disappointed by how much this talked about his weight, like how much of the story was just talking about Pooh being overweight and how to combat that and like the obstacles that that poses for him. Like that was really disturbing for me as something that like I thought I would not let my kid watch this now. Like if I had a kid, this is not what I would choose to let them watch. Um, But then we got to the second story, which is about the windstorm and Pooh um, or um, Piglet needs a house. What is it? No, Owl e- needs a house. Oh, e- e- Owl needs a house. Eeyore finds a house, but it's Piglet's house. And that's incredibly disturbing and distressful. Um, and I wasn't crazy about how that ended up, but I was like, oh, this feels really familiar. It's because that's the story that the Winnie the Pooh Disney ride is based off of um, at Disney World. Oh. So the Disney ride, which is one of the best rides at Disney, which is, is so silly, but 
um, you're, you basically go in a honeypot and you go through the entire storyline of that story, but there's a room where it's raining and there are giant pages where it's reading you the storyline. You get to see the hef- heffalumps and woozles. You get to see Tigger and jumping around and introducing him. And it's a brilliant, brilliant ride. It's really pretty. And like, it seems like it would be really silly and more on the kid level, but like, no, it's still one of my favorite rides when I go to Disney World. And then when we got to the story where Rabbit was trying to get rid of Tigger, like I was hurt. I did not like that. And I don't think it did a good job. Like it would be one thing if it was about bullying um, and like showing that bullying is bad, but no, like Rabbit's just a bully and like, yeah, he feels a little guilty at the end of it, but that's really only because everyone else is like, we want Tigger to come back. And so that was really disturbing to me from a storytelling standpoint what about you tori i like how winnie the pooh uses fourth wall breaking like the narrator talking Mm -hmm. back and forth to the characters it's really well done i feel like winnie the pooh in in a similar way that you know when you watch a dr seuss movie or when you watch the muppets they kind of have their own um style their own quirkiness their own Mm -hmm. uh, language that some of their in jokes, like with with Piglet, like he has his it's his the sign for his house is, I think it's for his his uncle or his grandfather or something, and it he says it means trespassers William, but trespassers will be shot is the sign, and I had to look at it. It's like oh, that's what that means. And it's, <laughs> like, if, you, if, if you don't know that, it's funny. If you do know that, it's really funny. <laughs> so it, it's it's on a it's on a like kind of an adult in joke level with the Muppets and it I really mm-hmm. appreciated that. I also appreciated that Pooh is super sassy when mm-hmm. uh, like when he and Piglet and Rabbit were walking away after they got rid of Tigger. Uh Pooh's like, Piglet, this is the same mud pit. He doesn't know where he's going. Just being sassy as all get out. Like he's he calling him out, and it's it's different than the poo that you will see later in Disney. Like he's not the same poo that you will see in uh, the 2011 poo that we will talk about later. I think I like this poo more because he's very like deliberate and sassy and everything. Like when he walks into Rabbit's house and just like starts eating his all his his honey. Or when Pit- Christopher Robin gives him honey, he's like, "Is is there more? Is I, I was thinking a, a bigger taste of honey." Just it, I I like Pooh's characterization in this movie, and all the characters like you said earlier, like with the with talking about um, Rabbit's house or no Piglet's house, and how he was so just eager, he was okay with giving it away because it would help Owl. Like everyone was so earnest. It, and everyone was just so sweet about it and, you know, rewarded Piglet for, you know, you want to give your house away. You don't have to. Or, you no, know, Pooh, and then Pooh immediately said, you can live with me. Everyone was just so deliberate in their niceness. To be clear, I do think Pooh beats Aristocats for me. Pooh, in my mind, is categorized as it's a lesson teaching medium. Like, it's one of those Disney movies or story, like the series of stories that's meant to teach a lesson throughout the arc. And it doesn't quite hit. And like, I feel like it leans into that really hard, but then doesn't quite hit. So maybe that's why it bothers me. But like, for Piglet, 
giving his house away, like the comment that I wanted to be amplified was like, you should speak up. And I, I think if it was made now, that would be the commentary is like, right. you should speak up and, and say like, I'm willing to help you out, but this is my home. But it, but it happened multiple times throughout the series. And, and even how Pooh acts, like Pooh is kind of like, I enjoy Pooh's character being kind of mindless and just like carefree. But to a certain extent, there's a piece if you're teaching lessons and it's kind of teed up as a story that's meant to teach a lesson, then like the lesson should not be about body shaming. The lesson should not be about um, going into someone's home and taking all of their resources. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, like, I, I feel like there were just some misses there that like they ended up being relatively funny, but they don't make me feel good. I want to I want to stand up for Aristocats. This movie made me think of something that I haven't thought about in ever watching these movies or this movie at least. Duchess is a single mom. She's not mm-hmm. a widow. She's not, you know, her husband didn't die. I don't think so. Like mm-hmm. Duchess is a single mom and that's highlighted in the kids saying, "Well, we almost had a father." So they they haven't had a dad this entire time and they're aware of it. And I don't think any other Disney movie has the kids aware that they don't have a father and haven't had one from jump. Because you can say Tadashi and Hiro in Big Hero 6 know they had parents and their parents Mm -hmm. died. Like it's, he says they've been gone. Lilo and Stitch, she knows that her parents died. Um, Aladdin knows his father took off. Stuff like that. Or knows his father hasn't been around. And and there are all the princesses that don't have that have evil stepmothers or, you know, all the all the parents that have died or aren't around. I think I think the Aristocats and I hope someone later on can point this out to me if I'm wrong. I think Aristocats is the Duchess is the only single mom in Disney. So I just watched this with Amber and the whole time she was commenting. But where's where's the dad? Like they're just not going to talk about. And we actually looked it up and the gestation period for cats is like 60, 65 days. Like it's not that long. Mm-hmm. So these cats are probably like, they can't be more than six months old. So like what ha- happened in the eight months? Before I even watched Aristocats, I would look at the the trailer and notice that Toulouse, the, the orange one, and O'Malley are the same color. And Marie mm-hmm. and Duchess look the same. And then Toulouse... Toulouse looks like Scat Cat for some reason. So I'm just mm-hmm. like, wait a minute. Uh, Duchess, what's going on? Yeah, that's just something that I, I've never thought of. And it's just Duchess is, she, you know, locks, uh, O'Malley sticks around because he loves the kids and everything. And it's just, it's interesting because that's a real life thing. That's a mm-hmm. real life thing. And yeah, I think the songs in this, ha- the songs in this are probably. Y'all will probably argue with me. I think these are the second best songs in the whole era. I won't say which ones I think are the best, but they're still good. Yeah. Second or third. And I think O'Malley has the same kind of uh, human complex that Tramp does, which I thought yes, was interesting. Yeah, I, I did notice that similarity. And in general, it seems like a, a pretty similar story. My vote is Aristocats. Why? 
Um, in I th- 30 seconds or less. <laughs> in 30 seconds or less. Uh, I think it was more... I like the, the ideas that it produced more. Like, the music helped the idea and the, 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 the epiphany I had about um, Duchess and how how she plays it and everything because she's just kind of along for the ride. It's kind of a... It's very similar to Lady and Tramp, whereas Duchess is more... I feel like Duchess is kind of courting O'Malley in this. And I feel like mm-hmm. that could be a completely different podcast, right? Elaborate on that. And with the, the songs, I think, are stronger than Winnie the Pooh. And I think the story is a little bit more cohesive than Winnie the Pooh. John, what do you think? I think I'm still going with Winnie the Pooh. Maybe more of a personal thing, but just... Um... It's just, it's cute, it's charming, and it started a really big franchise. And I still think, like, a lot of the, a lot of the short films from this, they've, they've stuck with me. Just had a lot of smiles returning to those movies, returning to those films, reliving my childhood a little bit. Like, my, my issue with the Aristocats, well, one, one thing that just has always bugged me about that movie is Edgar. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of not very smart. <laughs> Seems like he almost like they just they they needed a way for the cats to get lost and that may not have been like the way I don't know and and it doesn't have a great motive no <laughs> yeah still going Winnie the Pooh I will admit that she is batshit for leaving everything to the cats just that is from also, that Trump is, that is true. another topic yeah <laughs> I oh, I've gone back and forth on this just in this conversation. I remember watching Aristocats several months, maybe a couple of years ago for the podcast and thinking I was really disappointed. And I watched it this time. It's like, it's fine. Um, One thing that I didn't like this time was that the whole storyline is about how O'Malley helps this family get back home. But it's centered around O'Malley being the savior which I'm not crazy about. Um, it's a pretty pretty simple idea, and and that's the majority of the plot, is how O'Malley's this alley cat, but he's so great because he's kind of got these street smarts that are going to help him get back, and that's just not my, my favorite storyline. Winnie the Pooh, The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, has several problems, um, but I found it more enjoyable, and I watch these movies with, subtitles on and there are multiple times where I was cracking up because of how like I've heard these lyrics before but then looking at them on screen is just so so silly but I do think that like I would love to see modern Winnie the Pooh with good stories good storytelling that's more appropriate for today's standards so Winnie the Pooh is my vote so the winner of that first match of our first matchup is Winnie the Pooh. Our next matchup is the three seed, the Fox and the Hound, versus the six seed, Robin Hood. This one's easy for me. Robin Hood takes it. Wait, what? Yeah. Wait, oh, hold up. You got you got Fox and the Hound. <laughs> for me, in the other direction. Hold up. Are you kidding me? Hold up. Oh my god, I enjoyed Robin Hood so much more than Fox and the Hound. I loved Fox and the Hound. Fox and the Hound was predictable from beat two. It's just, it's not, it's not a good story. It's not a good story. The music's good, but the music's the same 
in several of these movies, it has that old symphonic air that kind of alludes to 007 music. Mm-hmm. Um, that like it's very very cool, but it makes the story seem way cooler than the story actually is. I'm gonna say this right now, so I don't have to say it with every with every matchup. The animation and the songs, not so much the music, is kind of weak compared to the era that we just came out of and the era that is next. Because oh my god, for, are you going to have for to limit everything? Yes, for everything. Yeah. We're going to have to limit what we're going to talk about music-wise in the next era. That's a, that's a tease. Here's the thing, is I think Robin Hood is at the top. Like, you you said that Aristocats is in the top two. I think, like, Aristocats, Robin Hood, and Oliver and Company, like, those are the three that I think of. And think- Robin Hood, straight up, I was, I was working a corporate event, and as a walk-on song, they had the whistling tune from Robin Hood. And I was like, that seems like an odd choice, but that's what someone chose. That's the strongest, I think, except for the, what is it called? Oodle Lolly. That's yes. the strongest, those are the two strongest songs, but that's really it, I think. I Hold on, let me be fair. Robin Hood has stronger songs. Okay. I think Fox and the Hound is a stronger movie. Like, I like Why? the direction that Fox and the Hound goes. And it's predictable, but I mean, it is what it is. Like it's a, it's kind of a, not a Romeo and Juliet. I mean, there's a, there's probably another Shakespearean thing that I'm thinking of where it's two people that grow up together. And then when they're adults, they're enemies. It's, it's not that complicated of a story, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad story. I think. And I really love the direction. It did make me cry. Are you serious? Goodbye seems like forever didn't make you cry when she has to no, drop I'm, Todd I'm, off in the... No, no, no. That's exactly what I'm saying. I, it did make me cry. This is the one thing that made me think of Airbud. That, okay. like, I was watching this and I'm like, I don't care about this movie. Like, I know this story. It's fine. But watching that sequence, I was literally crying. Like, I was mm-hmm. FaceTiming Matt last night and we were watching this together and, like, doing he was doing some work and I was playing some Dreamlight. And, like, as this happened, I was, like, crying. Mm-hmm. harvesting my carrots <laughs> and i think i think the best of friends sequence when big mama's singing and they're playing hide and seek like that's such a that's such a wholesome moment because it's it harkens it it's it's such a pure moment because they don't know they're different todd's just looking for someone to play with and copper is he's there it's a pure thing it's a pure scene and it's so wholesome and i really like it and i like the direction of this movie because unbeknownst to todd like the beginning of this movie is what if we put bambi's mom dying at the front of this movie because that's exactly what the beginning of this movie is i thought that too there's no cuteness there's no song there's no like a lot of these movies are like let's be cute at the beginning and then tell a story like nope he is losing his mom page one and he has this trauma, and then it, I mean, and it doesn't affect him, obviously. Like, it doesn't get into his trauma or anything. But he gets two moms out of that. He gets the widow, and he gets big mama. And then he finds his best friend in the whole world, who's supposed to be his, his enemy. It's a great story. Come on. It's a great story. And Robin Hood was boring to me. Sorry. Yeah, Robin Hood was boring for me, too. Like, it had been a very long time since I'd seen that movie, so I didn't really remember it. And uh, about halfway through, I thought it was done. Like the um, 
whole battle scene at the competition, the archery competition, right? My yes, I'm not, I'm not gonna hit yeah, yeah. I thought that was the end. Um, <laughs> and then I realized we're only halfway through. Yeah, I, I, I just really forgot. Um, but then I realized there was a second half. To it. Oh, geez. Okay, here we go. I, I really it, it was the first half was so slow, and I thought it was done. Um, and then there's a whole other act where that was less interesting. I did like the first act. But yeah, with Fox and the Hound, I mean, it's, I think um, it might be the most dramatic movie. One of the most dramatic movies in this era. Yeah. Definitely very like, heartfelt. And I think it's, it's got a bit of a darker theme. It's still very cute and with baby animals and everything. That's great. But it has a darker theme to it. You know, just the, the whole growing up and growing apart sort of thing. And I just really like that different direction than a lot of the other cutesy things we've seen so far. I disagree. I concede <laughs> that Fox and the Hound is one, but I will also add that these are for different audiences. Robin Hood, if you, and like, because I watch these with subtitles, I catch way more that like, I'm just not catching if I'm listening to it. Robin Hood is so funny and is so in on the jokes and like it's subtle and it's adult humor in a way that Fox and the Hound, you're right. Like it is a very simple, predictable story that is heart wrenching. Like it did, like it did make me cry, but Robin Hood, like I enjoy, I enjoy getting to the songs. I enjoy hearing the voices and the characters. So Robin Hood is my vote. That's all I'll say. I think if Robin Hood's third act was better, it would have, it would have been more impactful because I agree with John. The first, the first act was great. The, the, them dressing up to rob uh, the Royal carriage. Great scene. The archery competition. Great. The party at the, the subsequent party at the waterfall uh, was great. And then the third act when everyone gets locked up and has to like it's a great setup you have to save all of nottingham because everyone's locked up it's hopeless they know king rich not king richard prince john is waiting for you to come and save everybody and somehow Mm -hmm. it's still boring i don't think so if it would have been more exciting i think it would have been it would have been probably one of the better ones in this whole bracket yeah okay so I vote Robin Hood. Y'all have voted for Fox and the Hound? Yes. Fox and the Hound moves forward. <laughs> and it's it's interesting looking at the raw data. Robin Hood has second worst Rotten Tomato and Metacritic score, but it has the best IMDb score. Hmm. I wonder if that's like indicative. Is IMDb more for sentiment? Is it the user, like the regular consumer's choice? Right. We haven't really thought about that much. I think it is, right? I think IMDb is just anyone can vote on it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Fox and the Hound moves on. Next up for matchup three, we have the Rescuers versus the Black Cauldron. And I, I'm sure I've said this before when I've when we've talked about and watched the Black Cauldron. I had to watch it again, even though I knew I didn't like it because I didn't remember anything. And guess what? I still don't remember it. I watched it two hours ago. I told John, uh, he was mad at me that he, he, both of you are mad at me that you had to watch it again. I oh my God. It, I fell asleep. I told John, I woke up, 
<laughs> I fell asleep twice. <laughs> I woke up. I fell asleep when Torin was in the dungeon, and I woke up and uh, Alanwi and I forget the minstrel's name had shown up, and I was like, "Hold on, where did they come from?" <laughs> yep. Don't know. There was one human, and now there are three. What's going on? Here's the thing. Here's the thing is Dono don't care. Like literally nothing in the movie makes me care. The Black Cauldron, in my opinion, suffers because it was made too early. I I don't think it was. I think it was awful writing to begin with. I mean, the problem was they tried to shove five, five movies into, sorry, five books into one movie. And as we've seen with, you know, Harry Potter, Hunger Games, Chronicles of Narnia, Lord of the Rings. You can't do that. It does not work. Nope. Here's the thing is I also feel like nothing happened. Like right. they were just always trapped. It, it suffers from, like if this had been made in the early 2000s when all those movies that I just mentioned, except for the Hunger Games, were kind of in their infancy and for Lord of the Rings, it's heyday. You know, it could have been so much better. Like here's the kids, you know, kids, here is your Lord of the Rings. It would have been so much better because the Horn King, voiced by John Hurt, is terrifying. He's a very good villain. And and his plan is simple, but like the idea of the Horn King is very well done. But everything else, not so much. Nope. Yeah. I always thought it was I think it's interesting. The movie came out in nineteen eighty five. I don't know, maybe this was normal in this at this time period. I don't know. But it wasn't released on VHS for 13 years. Oh, I would. I assume that's not normal, even for the for back then. I like. I like for all these movies. I like looking at the like the monet the, the financial outcome. Mm-hmm. This was the only one of all these movies because most of these movies in this era were very low budget. Mm-hmm. Um, Disney was in a transition after Walt passed, and um, just lots of leadership changes and such. This was the most expensive movie. Of the era, forty-four million. Second was Oliver and Company at thirty-one million, and it made about half of that. Black yeah. Cauldron. Jeez. Everything else turned a turned a pretty decent profit. Black Cauldron lost half of it. I think that was when they they started in, in, they started experimenting with a little bit of computer animation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the first time they did that. A big part of why it's so expensive, but um, and everything you're saying. Yeah, just not memorable in any way. I don't remember. I can't even tell you the main character's name right now off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. And like the, what's his name? The little comedic relief thing. Yeah, don't Ergy. don't remember. <laughs> yeah, he's so annoying. I'm assuming his purpose is comedic relief. Gurky reminds me of Dobby um, from Harry Potter. Yes. Oh, he reminds me of the bat from Anastasia, which was not and now is. Disney, uh, because she mm-hmm. is a Disney princess, Tori. We've oh. already had this conversation. Uh, the Rescuers. I thought it was fine. Um, I like the story. We haven't really talked about it yet, but there are several voices specifically in this era that come up time and again. Multiple playing three or four roles just in these eight movies. Um, and this is one of those. The lead female voice for this is also the lead female in Aristocats. Um, we also see, I mean, Baloo isn't one of these eight, but Baloo shows up in Phil Baloo's Harris. voice 
Phil Harris shows up in three or four of these movies. Um, Just there's a lot of overlap in, um, in voice staffing here. And like, I, part of me likes it because it's recognizable and it's comforting. But the other part of me is like, well, that's blue though. (laughs) Or that's, that's the sheriff. You're right. Like Paul Winchell. uh, I just said his name, Phil Harris, Sterling Holloway, uh, who Mm -hmm. is, Ava Gabor? Yep. Yeah, this is their heyday. You are absolutely correct. Just, they, kind of in the same way that, um, what is his name? Alan Tudyk is in everything. Mm -hmm. But he's never like the same character. He's never the same voice. He, yeah, so he does a good job because he's always like, half of the time he's a animal character that has like specific sounds that aren't actually a character voice. But I love that he's in everything. It's funny and it's fun. But some of these characters, like, I like seeing them come up again and like recognizing that. But at the same time, I'm thinking of other characters at the same time that I'm hearing their characters because they're not changing. Yeah, because they're not changing their voices at all. It's just them voice acting. Right. But I, I do love whenever Phil Harris comes up in something because he always just gives the film kind of a shot of energy. Yeah, pizzazz. Yeah, I will. I will give him credit for being a positive in Robin Hood, as uh, Little John. Little John, yeah. I think that was his strongest performance in these movies. Uh, no, Thomas O'Malley, because his interaction with everyone, especially Scat Cat. I don't think so. I don't think he was as impactful, but not as memorable for me. But I also I, I, watched Aristocats later because he's different. I like I yeah. like him in Little John because he's different as mm-hmm. um, Baloo and Thomas O'Malley. He's kind of the cool, laid back person. Mm-hmm. As Little John, he's the he's saying like, "Hey, are you sure you want to do this?" He's the he's mm-hmm. the worrying person, the conscience, and it's a different tone. But uh, yeah. with with the rescuers, both of these movies are kind of missed opportunities for different reasons. I already said the Black Cauldron was made too early. Looking at the rescuers, I think the rescuers could have benefited. I know it was the first Disney movie to get a sequel, and we'll talk about that next bracket. But in looking at the rescuers and another movie that we're going to talk about in a couple of minutes, they could have made a universe or a franchise out of the rescuers very effectively because the rescue mm-hmm. aid society, it's multinational. Yeah. And it was so well branded at the very beginning. Yes. They have a, a they song. Have a, and everything and they're under the united nations so you start mm-hmm. like in disney afternoon shows you should have started with the rescuers and you mm-hmm. could have gone in so many different directions because i could see yeah. you know crossover with chip and dale with tailspin just everything starts here and you just kind of have cameos from different characters because they're all animals mm-hmm. why not you know you were fighting crocodiles in this movie. Why not mm-hmm. have, um, I can't remember any characters from Tailspin, or why not have Chip and Dale, you know, help you with a mm-hmm. case or something, you know, stuff like that. Or, or why not have the characters from Great Mouse, Mouse Detective later on? Exactly. Like, why isn't that an integrated universe? Yeah. In all of the wanting to do new things, like you had the characters to do that. Disney just, I don't think they used them as effectively because as they did because they were more focused on you know the infighting and like john said there was no figurehead 
if there was a mm-hmm. Kevin Feige or something, or at least, you know, a Roy, a, a Roy Jr. to say, hey, let's take these characters and mix them a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it, it could have been a whole lot more done. I like the idea of the rescuers. I wasn't a huge fan of certain parts of it. Mm-hmm. I will say I love the beginning. Another mm-hmm. another situation where they kind of took the cute the cutesiness out of it. I like the watercolor background that they used. Oh, I thought that was beautiful. Yeah, I thought that was amazing. I made a note of that actually. Um, Very beautiful well watercolors. And then epic opening music, again, with the 007 vibes, like that incredibly, like, flowy, orchestral, highly violin-centric, yeah, um, beautiful, beautiful opening. And and it carries through, I I think the opening is is more dynamic, but it carries through. And and same with those watercolors, is it's definitely, like, a feature at the beginning, but the art is very good throughout the movie. Yeah. The, the art's good. It's just the animation. Like I said, in all of these, the animation leaves a lot to be desired because with um, Orville flying through New York, it could look mm-hmm. a whole lot better. Yeah. And it just some of the compositing work, it's just, oh, it's so bad. And it's really like this transition period. Like we think about things that are earlier in the Disney repertoire and then that transition into like when we're getting into the late 80s, early 90s, like, there's really a, a transition that's just not very cute. Uh, it's not glossy, it's not finished, but it's also not rustic in a way that's artistic. It's just kind of rough. Right. A plus I will give the Black Cauldron, and I'll say my one cool shot right now. When the Horn King is summoning the his his army, using he's using the Black Cauldron to to summon his army that's a very cool shot because there's there's lime green everywhere shout out to heather there's lime green everywhere oozing from the cauldron and just the effect of the the whatever billowing out it's a very cool shot Um, Mm -hmm. and just all of the castle work like all of the all the castle work it kind of looks like concept art but it's really good concept art for just the land around the horn king's castle it looks very good um, it's just everything else just doesn't look that good with it. It's it runs into the problem where there are clearly scenes and shots where like there was one thing that's meant to be the focus of the shot, and they put a lot of energy into that, and the rest is just not really paid attention to, and it's and it, the movie suffers because of that. Yeah, John, you were saying something. Looking at my rescuer's notes, it was simple animation, like we said, but I didn't think it was necessarily bad. Like nothing, it, <clears throat> like we're just talking about how, like, yeah, there was one specific thing that was done really well, and the rest wasn't. It was, in the rescuers, nothing really stuck out as bad. It was just all kind of okay. This is what this world looks like, mm-hmm. um, and and so I thought that that was more. Reasonable. I did like the, the whole scene at Medusa's place. I thought I liked the way that was put together. It's definitely darker. They use like darker color schemes and everything. I really thought it was really nice. Yeah, the characters though, uh, super well put together. Along with that, as far as like the story, side characters and rescuers, didn't play a single thing about them. And the, the villain was just very. And I've heard a lot of people say like describe her as like just a discount Cruella Deville. Um, yes. Yeah. 
It was yeah, supposed and, to be Cruella just, de Vil. That's right, yeah. It was supposed to be her. How were they going to like tie that in? I don't even know. It's such a different world. But they, um, they brought back her car and the bad driving, so they yeah. wanted to. Right. It, but it was it was like a super flat version. And also like she was dumb and like Cruella wasn't dumb. Her henchmen were really dumb. But like yeah. the lead I don't even remember her name, but the lead in this, like she and her her henchmen were almost non existent. Like they I don't even know if they had speaking yeah. roles. I don't remember. Adam Medusa. Yeah. Um but Medusa was just was just a bad person that's really her characteristic yeah <laughs> is that she was using child labor was this diamond the only motivation was to get a diamond yeah pretty pretty simple character um, yeah okay so i think we're all in agreement that the rescuers moves on compared to the black children Tori, you're making a face it yeah like you want just, to be different I think this is the weakest pairing. It's it's unfortunate. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I I was looking at these pairings before we recorded and was disappointed because the four movies I was most excited to talk about were in the first two pairings. It's like, well, shit, they're not going to move on. Yeah. So. The Rescuers has the highest Rotten Tomatoes score. No, it has the second highest Rotten Tomatoes score because the mini Avengers of Winnie the Pooh has a 100. Okay. And okay. has the highest Metacritic score, so it's it's one of the higher rated movies. It's just IMDb just shits all over it. Okay, so the Rescuers moves on, and matchup four next up we have the Great Mouse Detective versus Oliver and Company. Um, and I did watch both of the Mouse movies back to back. I did too. John, what are your thoughts on these two? Great Mouse Detective is something I never saw as a kid. It's almost like I, I didn't know it existed. Oh, I, okay. I would guess that's the same for a lot of people, even people that were pretty attached to Disney movies. Mm. Oh, it was something that was never, I didn't know it existed. So a couple of years ago, I watched it for the first time. It was fantastic. <laughs> it's, a, it's a true gem, I think. Just lost in the middle of this, in this generation. I, it's really enjoyable. Characters are really, really fun. Um, Basil is just, He's clever, he's funny, really enjoyable main character. I think the plot moves really well. The villain is fantastic. Radigan is just really enjoyable. He's got like maybe a little simplistic as far as like motivation goes, but it's very eccentric and, and done really well. It's funny this came one year after Black Cauldron. Mm-hmm. So we're working on these at the same time. It's just interesting how the, just how different they are. Different the perception and quality is, yeah. Yeah, and the animation, I think, is it's definitely moving in the right direction here. As we're near the end of this era, Company of the Renaissance, I think it's better overall. The, the whole scene in Big Ben at the end is super fun. And it, it's so fun, and then, like, it's just it's really nice to look at. And pretty dramatic. It's just, yeah, this one is just, it's just enjoyable. And I wish so- I had known about it. Seeing the dates of Great Mouse Detective and Black Cauldron back to back, it makes me wonder how long each of them were in production. Because I imagine that Black Cauldron was in production for a long time. Yeah. Where Great Mouse Detective was pretty well, like, it's pretty much in line with what Disney had been doing up until that point. Um, and the story, like, it's just all better. The storytelling's better. The the graphics are better just 
the, or not graphics, but animation. The music is very good. Yeah. I will say that I, I can't believe that Oliver and Company is the eight seed for this because that's, that's um, surprising. Yeah. this is like what I would think of as the third or fourth most exciting movie I was excited to watch about watch in this series of eight and rewatching it like it holds up. It's not something that like I want to go to now, but it's something that I would definitely go to as a kid as like one of my like upper favorites. Um, and the couple things that stood out to me is I, I'm not sure if I noticed, and we've talked about this before, but I'm not sure that I noticed that Billy Joel is actually the voice of Dodger in addition to composing many of the songs, which makes right. so much sense. Um, but he's actually the he voice. Just, I, I don't think he actually did the music. I think he just was the voice. I think he did music too, but I'm not sure. Just we can, Are you we talking score up. or writing the songs? The songs. I didn't know, uh, uh, what's his name? Howard Ashman did Once Upon a Time in New York City. Like, I was yeah. baffled. Like, are you serious? One other, like, super random thing I noticed in this was, I'm not, I'm not sure if it counts as product placement, but there was a writer truck and there was a Coke product or sign or something like that. Coke can, maybe. I was oh, like, huh, I wonder if, like, that is super... That's not something I would normally recognize in a Disney movie. And it's also like, it wasn't Coca-Cola. It was Coke. Uh, but the rider truck was definitely a rider truck. And I was like, that seems so odd. And it's the only branding I recognize. Along along with that, it's like one of the only... I mean, the rescuer says a little bit, but for the most part, it's the only one that takes place in a big modern city. Yeah. For sure. You can see... I mean, Silly, but you wouldn't see a Coke ad in Winnie the Pooh. Um, right. Yeah. It'd be fun. It'd be fun. But yeah, it's the only one that, and I would, I assume it's the only one in all of Disney history up to that point that was set in modern, current world like that. Am I right? Yeah, I can't really think of anything like. I mean, there's some that are set in London, but England. not modern London. Yeah, France yeah. or England in like the early 1900s, but early right. mid 1900s. I think you're right. Like, not with cars. Yeah. <laughs> There's not cars and <laughs> maybe 101 Dalmatians. I think 101 Dalmatians was at the time set in the time that the movie was coming out. Yeah, it was right. Set in the 60s. But other than that, yeah, of this bracket anyway, it's the only one set in the time that it was. I mean, the 70s for the rescuers too. Yeah. It spent a lot of time in New York. Mm-hmm. I like the music in Oliver and Company. I always remember the visual of the texture of the sloth that is her name Penny. Penny. That's Jenny. I think. Jenny. Um, that Jenny makes for Oliver, like when he first comes into her home. I always have that image in my mind with the chocolate chips, which just makes me think of Credo. And yes, no, I are, have uh, been cocoa puffs. It says cocoa puffs. They look like chocolate chips. I've Maybe, been eating yeah. cocoa. I've been eating cookie dough this week because, like, I've had that image in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Not ashamed to say, um, but yeah, I, I, I like the storyline. I think it's uh, you've got really dynamic characters without too much character development, and great mass detective. I think it's fine. It's Sherlock watered down. 
Yeah. Um, Sherlock for kids. And, and it's fun if you recognize that it's Sherlock, but if you don't recognize that it's Sherlock, it just seems like kind of meh. So that's my thought. Yeah. I'm going to try to take off my, my nostalgia goggles when I say this. Oliver and Company, I think, has the best music. Are the best songs? No, no, I'll say best music too, because uh, Jack Redford is yeah. is is very good, and mm-hmm. he does he does what will be done later. He uses the songs in the score, mm-hmm. like Once Upon a Time in New York City and um, Good Company is used heavily throughout. You know, stuff with um, Jenny and Oliver and scenes with oliver and the gang because it's just it's just this the the theme for new york it's the theme for the gang and then good company is the theme for jenny and oliver more importantly the oliver and company has probably the best cast top to bottom of the entire bracket i mean you got you got billy joel uh Lee ralph you have Joey Lawrence as Oliver. You have Bette Midler, for Christ's sakes. You got yes. Robert Lozier, Cheech Marin, Dom DeLuise as Mr. Fagan. Just it's it's a stacked cast. Yes. And they they all shine a little bit. Like Cheryl Lee Ralph as as Rita is just so cool. She's so chill. Mm-hmm. Dodger is the coolest dog ever. I I didn't notice that on this watch round and I haven't listened back t- back to our earlier episodes discussing Oliver and Company, um, but I did notice the character acting in this. Like, it's just solid. And I remember looking up like Miller. Okay, like clearly, of course it is. <laughs> it's just the quality was so good throughout um, and consistent and showy in a way that's not. It was honestly like Broadway. Um, and like that's easy to say because it's based in New York, but Broadway in a way that every character has a place and a time where it's important, and then when it's not, and it's just a background and supporting character that's still really relevant. And this movie, uh, Oliver and Company, it shows me in this era Disney is done with filler because if you look at a lot of the movies that we talked about, in the same way that I hated, not hated, but I was tired of all the mouse play and Cinderella, there's mm-hmm. not that much filler in this movie. You're either focusing on Oliver or you're focusing on the gang. And that's it. There's no Edgar trying to get his umbrella back like there is in the Aristocats. And there's no, mm-hmm. you know, 25 minutes of mice being chased by Lucifer like there is in Cinderella. This movie is very tight. I don't think anything needs to be cut. Like everything mm-hmm. is where it should be. I think this is one of the ones that's like 74 minutes, right? Is that right, John? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it felt like it. Like it felt tight. It moved along. There was nothing that felt wasted. Right. We're on a clock. We're on a ticking clock because at the beginning of the movie, or sorry, at the end of the first day, when Oliver gets to the gang, Sykes says, You have three days. And then we're kind of on the clock till then. Like, okay, everything is going. And I think it's just another day after that. So it, it they don't spend a lot of time just adding extra stuff. Like, okay, Oliver is with this this family. The gang tries to get him back. Fagan's got to pay back Sykes. Let's keep it moving. It's not that I dislike Great Mouse Detective. It's just I feel like Oliver and company was tighter. 
because even with Radigan's plan, it took kind of a backseat. Like, there's a villain in Oliver and Company, but it's not about the villain. He's just, Mm -hmm. he's more of an antagonist than than a villain because he, I mean, he does try to kidnap Jenny, but... He's he's not really he's there to be an obstacle, not really there to be a character. If that makes mm-hmm. sense, Radigan is a yeah. character. Mm-hmm. Not that he's bad. Like it, this is a hard matchup for me because both of these movies, I think these are probably the best movies of their era. God, uh, Radigan, I had issues. Like one, the song sounds like Gaston. Fair. It it is Gaston. <laughs> it is Gaston. It is. I like that. Yeah. Just the, without the, the French is- style. Yeah, the music is is surprisingly good, but I don't care. Like that that's the problem is that I don't care about the problem that they're trying to solve. Yeah, that that's that's really it. Is that I don't care about the problem they're trying to solve and so it doesn't capture my interest for the whole thing. Yeah. And on the same cuz he starts off with not Watson, what's his real name? Dawson. Dawson is trying to help out this girl, but Ultimately, it comes down to trying to figure out that Radigan's a fraud. And, like, it's just they're disjointed enough and it's not, like, I just don't care. It, it feels like two mashed up parts. I have written down that this, the Great Mouse Detective is probably the best execution wise because the songs mm-hmm. are minimal. The animation is probably the best. And it, it the, the clock tower scene at the end definitely puts it over the edge if the mm-hmm. clock tower scene if the third act of robin hood had been as, as exciting as the clock tower scene robin hood would have been so much better just saying it is tense i wish that we talked about it last round basil and the rescuers could have done something mm-hmm. like there could have been a lot of crossover between these two because yeah. between these two because as we've seen there's a mouse queen yeah. And there's a United Nations. There's a Mouse United Nations. So yep. come on. Disney, yeah. you laid the groundwork. Clearly. It would be there. Yeah. Just. Well, fine. They can do it now. Yeah, they Just, could. Uh, well, here's. Uh, yeah. It was 11 years, uh, nine years later. Yeah. Easily. Oh, but I think, I think um, The Rescuers, I think, is set in modern day. And I think Basil of Baker Street was set in like the 18 something. Yeah. We can look that up. We can look that up later. Okay. I'm voting for Oliver and Company. Shocker. Same. Eight seed. Yeah, same. I think I'll, it's I'll a... stick with, It doesn't matter, but I'm sticking with my straight mouse detective. Congrats. <laughs> I'm I'm so surprised that Oliver and Company was the eight seed, but I'm happy to see it move on. Okay, so moving on, we have the Fox and the Hound versus the Rescuers. And the many adventures went Winnie the Pooh versus Oliver and Company. We're going to start off with Fox and the Hound versus Rescuers. John, kick us off. I had these two in my initial rankings right in the middle. Very close. (laughs) (laughs) A toughie. Yes, very much. Initial thoughts, I would probably, we got time to decide, but initially I would probably lean towards Fox and the Hound. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because. Rescuers. Now I'm kind of going back backwards. Wow. Do you want to pass the story? Really change my mind. I might, yeah. yeah. Give me give me a minute. You go, Tori. Convince me. I think <laughs> I I will agree with what you were were gonna say with Fox and the Hound over the Rescuers, because Fox and the Hound, the Rescuers has a very weak villain. 
the fox and the hound has very serviceable antagonists. Fo- uh, Todd, is, let's say Todd and Copper are the protagonists because they are Chief. Eh, not so much Chief. Amos Slade is the antagonist because he is against Todd because he's a fox. He is against Copper being friends with Todd because he wants his own hunting. He wants him to be a hunting dog. It's it's very it's very simple. It's very true to life, also, because Copper's saying. Like Todd saying, "Hey, we're friends. That's that's it. I like you. That's it." And Copper is no I like Copper you saying that. I mean, Todd has no qualms with who Copper is. Todd's yeah. Todd's gonna be who he's gonna be. He's a rambunctious, you know, mischief maker. Yeah. And Copper but wants Copper- to be friends. Copper wants Copper's- to be friends with Todd, but he's fighting against who he's trying he's being made to be and then Mm -hmm. after a while he goes and says hey i'm a hunting dog now you know we can't be friends like nothing against you but this is i gotta do what i gotta do Mm -hmm. uh i gotta follow i gotta do what i'm told and i mean the only the, the thing that makes copper turn is chief getting hurt which it's really that's really the inciting incident but they were good until you know chief got hit by a train which I will say, like, yes, Fox and the Hound wins over Rescuers for me. But that scene in particular, it was the simplest version of the conflict. And that was a little disappointing for me. Is that it is it is the six-year-old version of the conflict instead of the, like, ten-year-old or, like, appealing to maybe adults can understand from a different angle like it's just a very simple like a plus b equals c i hate you now you know what the 10 year old version of that is mm-hmm. raya versus namari in raya yeah the Dragon. exactly we have exactly. that version but we also have this version to dumb it down because raya and namari if you look at raya versus namari it's very uh, nuanced and it's very complex because Raya versus Namari is Raya gave her an olive branch and Namari stabbed her in the back for her people. Yeah. Copper and Todd, it's it's simple, but mm-hmm. it kind of has the same tint to it. John, do you have anything to add coming back to you? Not sure that I do. Really honest moment here. Yeah, I think I'm still sticking with Fox and the Hound on my end. Yeah, just me too. Yeah, it's it's not it's it's more simple, but it's more mature sort of com- sort of conversation throughout, and it's something that I think a lot of people not not literally, but can be relatable on many different levels. Mm-hmm. Even if it's really simple, and maybe something like we said, the six year old version, it's something that can be relatable for a lot of people. Yeah, again, not directly. Like um, we're not being trained to kill each other, mostly. But um, uh, but it's something that just it, it's a, a story of people growing apart. Mm-hmm. I think we talked about it um, when we initially did the bracket that Fox and the Hound is kind of a metaphorically black versus white because you say we're not being trained, but there are some people like in those days, some people were trained to hate you know someone that doesn't look like you for whatever reason. And that's kind of what spoke to me in Big Mama's song. The world is telling you that you shouldn't be friends. 
Yeah. But you just are. And, you know, if I think she says, if only the world wouldn't get in the way, if, uh, if only they would just let you play. It's uh, the, it's the purity in that song and the purity of their relationship because they're just they're just kids, you know. It's it's like those it's like those cute those cute Twitter videos when you see the kid like the black kid and the white kid just running down the street and just hugging each other. They're complete strangers, but you're a little kid. I'm a little kid. Let's be friends. That's how most you know yeah. friendships in schools start. You know where close proximity we're both the same age we both like playing hide and seek even though copper doesn't know what hide and seek is stuff like that it's one of the better you know meet cutes in a disney movie that's that's a great it's a meet cute that's exactly what it is for for literary purposes yeah so fox and the hound fox and the hound okay let's get to the difficult one oliver and company versus the mini adventures of winnie the pooh I'm going to go back to my OG reasoning for for my winner is what would I sit in a room and watch over and over? And it's probably Oliver and Company because of the songs, because I think it's a fun story. There are visuals that are ingrained in my mind. Winnie the Pooh is more problematic for me. There, there are parts that I really love and there are parts that make me laugh really hard. And watching it with subtitles is, if you haven't done that, you absolutely should. But it's more problematic than joy for me. And Oliver and Company is just like something lightweight to put on. I need to read the reviews and see why exactly. What were the criticisms of why? Like it has the worst Rotten Tomato score. It has the third worst Metacritic score. It has the second worst IMDb score. Like why is it that bad? Yeah. Uh Like I said, the animation on all of these isn't the best and i'm not excusing oliver and company and saying that it has good animation story-wise song-wise it's an adaptation of oliver uh, oliver twist so Mm -hmm. it's 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 not that hard to understand john what you got bothers me about oliver and company the titular character oliver maybe maybe, i don't know the original material oliver twist so maybe i'm answering my own question here but the story especially later on, hardly becomes about Oliver. Mm-hmm. A lot of, like, he doesn't really have any character development. Things just kind of happen to him. Yeah. Whether it's being adopted by Jenny or being adopted by the gang, um, he doesn't really do things. And it was something else that's weird, because the, the, a lot of the event, like we said, happens in just a day or two. How did he, as a small cat, get so closely adopted by this gang in, in like less than 24 hours to the point that when he was act- was taken away by by jenny they're like going all out to rescue him it just mm-hmm. seems like it, was, it would be it seems like that happens really fast i agree um that that they're like a little butt hurt when he's he comes back and or like they find him again and then he's like well i want to go home and they're like but do like, I feel like that connection happens a little fast. I think, to be fair, that's just Dodger. Because Rita, the, the boys, uh, Francis, Einstein, and Tito, are kind of, they're kind of... Uh, Receptive. They're, they're not really, they, they go as Dodger goes. Uh-huh. Rita is the one who is just like, yeah, maybe we should just leave him here. Dodger's the one who's butthurt. And I think because maybe Dodger has, and I think this is in, I've only seen the movie Oliver Twist. I think 
Dodger is the one who has a difficult past with being, you know, abandoned and stuff. So maybe he takes to Oliver because he see maybe sees a little bit of himself in Oliver. I think because he comes in and shows the, hey, the kid's tough. He can handle himself. Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's that's how he endears himself to Dodger. Yeah. But that's me reading into it. Some of that isn't in the movie. Winnie the Pooh. My hesitance is because it's nicely done. The segments of it are nicely strung together. But the the hole that these pieces make I don't think are as strong as Oliver and Company for me. Yeah. I think I'm going to vote Oliver and Company. Uh, what do you think? Winnie the Pooh side, so it's all up to you, Grace. I'm going to go Oliver and Company. It's it's the thing that I would put on the background, like, uh, of these two. I What sucks is, like, Winnie the Pooh makes me laugh so hard when I'm paying attention to it. And I do love that the second story in this movie is the primary theme for the Disney ride in Disney world. And it's so such a well-done ride. I do love that, but it's problematic and it's not, it's not appropriate. And I think that that takes away from me. And like, there are some things that we can, we can put aside or, or say like that was the time and that era. And like, that's not something we agree with, but like, that's what we see and for what it was in that time that's okay um but this is one that like for the audience that it's targeting like no i'm just not i'm not okay with that it it doesn't make me happy it doesn't make me want to share that with people and all of her and company is something that i have like relatively fond memories with so i'm gonna vote all of her and company in my wildest dreams i never thought it would right? be the three seed, the fox and the hound versus the eight seed, Oliver and Company. Dogs versus cats. Let's go. Right. Well, the Cinderella story here. Do you have any like strong reactions to this pair up? I'm going to tell you all the truth. I had both of these movies growing up. So I'm just like, damn it. Which one do I choose? John, do you have any strong feelings? <laughs> What's tough for me is... Fox and the Hound made me cry, literally, like yesterday, made me cry. And not like a light, like tear, like multiple, multiple tears, not hard, but significant that I could not hide it. Um, Cry when the lady left the fox in the forest. That's a a tough scene. Yeah, it's a tough scene. Um, it was very reminiscent of Bambi for me. I think the story overall, it's simple, but it's also just over an hour. So that's okay that it's, it's that simplified. Oliver and Company has the benefit that it has some great songs. It has good characters for being such a short movie. I don't know. This was I think tough. something with Oliver and Company, it kind of laid the groundwork for... Character a- character actors with in, in minor roles, and then the the star as the second as the not the lead but the secondary lead uh-huh. that that the 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 main character bounces off of, like a Robin Williams. Yeah, he wasn't he wasn't as funny as Robin Williams by by far, 
it has the, the same role. Yes. <laughs> or the John Belushi. I think whoever is in, um, whoever is uh, Wilbur in Rescuers Down Under, Rosie O'Donnell in Tarzan, or Eddie Murphy in Mulan, or Danny DeVito in Hercules, or James or uh, James Woods in Hercules. You're in, on a roll. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have super strong opinions about this one. Like both of these are good movies and things that I would like watch again. I think Fox and the Hound was something that I watched earlier in our series and was not super excited about. Oliver and company was something that I was excited about. So I think just from a, like if it was just these two movies in a room, what would I watch? Like, I think it would be Oliver and Company. It's got good songs. It's got good side characters that I'm interested in. Like, I care about the things that they say because they're funny and engaging. And it's not just filler. You're right about it being a super tight movie. Like, there's no wasted time in this. If I use Grace's criteria, if I'm doing... If I'm sitting down and watching this movie, it would probably be Fox and the Hound. I'm not, I don't want to be cliche, but... This movie is kind of cinematic and it's just, you know, it hits you in different areas. But I think what's more, um, what's more populous maybe is Oliver and Company because of the music and because it's more upbeat and because Cheech Marin's one-liners are great. They're passable. They're not great. We didn't talk about the sexism in this movie and how that was completely passable in the late 80s. What are we talking about? Oh. Cheech's commentary on Georgette. Not okay. Yeah, it's a great point. Though. Like these, The tones of these movies are just polar opposites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it all depends on what your specific kind of criteria is. Yeah, Oliver and Company is more just fun and can sit down and enjoy it. But I think Fox and the Hound is like, I'm trying to find another word than cinematic, but that was a really good, really good term for that. It's just, it's more... More of that. I think this movie, uh, The Fox and the Hound, could be made today. Like, if you make it more mm-hmm. about the relationship. It, I mean, and it's it's very much about the relationship between Todd and Copper. This movie could play today. Like, if you update the animation, if you make the story, if you cut out, you know, Dinky and Boomer's subplot with Squeaks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, keep Dinky and Boomer because they're good foils to Big Mama. And it fills out the world. Uh, but make it more about like Todd and Copper not being able to be friends once they're older. It can yeah. still work today because, like I said, it's yeah. very relatable. Side note, uh, Dinky and Boomer remind me of Harry and Marv from Home Alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Except yeah. a lot nicer. I mean, they're still trying to get to the, uh, the what you call it, the, the caterpillar, but. They're not as murderous. Well, they, no, no, no. They're literally trying to eat him. Okay, so between Fox and the Hound and Oliver Company, John, have you picked? I'm going Fox and the Hound. The one going, that makes me feel more things. That's where I'm going. And I'm going Oliver Company, but I'm light on the emphasis. You're really making me choose. How dare you. 100%. Definitely. Oh, my gosh. The winner of this bracket is the fox and the hound because i think the animation on the on fox and the hound is a little bit better to look at than oliver and company i think i could sit and 
dissect and talk about the fox and the hound a little bit longer than oliver and company i think if if i had actually read oliver twist i could probably get more out of it but i haven't so Mm -hmm. i would say at this point in time probably i would think and reason about fox and the hound a little bit more than oliver and company this is really a toss-up for me i could take either one on any given day but i think animation kind of edges it out a little bit for me like the songs on the songs on oliver and company are fire just the the music on oliver and company is fire and it's just the 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 movie itself for fox and the hound does a little bit more for me especially Mm -hmm. with the relationships on this day i am going to go with (laughs) fox and the hound okay fox and the hound wins so I'm actually a little bit excited because the one bonus rule I had written for Drunken Disney, because I wanted to choose Drunken Disney based on the winner, but the one bonus rule I had because of how many repeat voices we had in this bracket, I think five or six of these had voices that were featured in another one of the movies. It was insane. So the bonus rule for this drunk Disney is give a drink anytime you recognize a voice from a different Disney movie. You have to be able to name it and call it out to someone else. And if you were me, I would give them the opportunity to say, what else has this person been a voice actor in? And if they can name it, then you both take a drink. Great. Whatever. You can do that with both of the finals, the, both of the finalists, because you have a uh, chief, I can't remember his voice actor, but he was the sheriff of Nottingham in Robin mm-hmm. Hood. And then Cheech Marin in Oliver and Company was in The Lion King. Oh, I didn't put that together. Yeah. So, so you know. So, okay. So, Torwood, clearly, I he was, will take uh, a drink bonsai. to you, sir. Yes, that makes so Ooh. much sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, the bonus rule. Give a drink to anyone you recognize a voice from a different... Uh, Disney movie specifically for Fox and the Hound. What do you think? Take a sh- take a drink anytime you hear a gunshot. Okay. Take a drink anytime Big Mama talks. You drink. That's the respect. Anytime someone says Todd or Copper. That's so much. Anytime a dog like, yips. That happens sometimes, right? Yeah. yeah. I like that. A dog yips or barks. Like. Yeah, I guess you could believe it either way. Because there are a couple of chase scenes that would take care of that. Okay, yeah. okay. Anytime Big Mama talks, you take a drink. Anytime a dog barks or yips, you take a drink. And anytime, what was the third one? Gunshot. Anytime yeah. you, yeah. And anytime you hear a gunshot, that's a drink. And then the bonus rule for this round because this era was so plush with repeat voice actors, uh, give a drink anytime you recognize a voice from a different Disney movie and you can point it out to someone else. Don't use Google, don't cheat. But I had lots of fun listening and watching and listening to these movies and turning to my friends and saying, oh, that's this person and this person and this person in these movies. Those are your rules for Drunken Disney. I already said that my one cool shot is the Horn King summoning his minions. Yeah, I really like that one. So that's our Bronze Age bracket. Wow. Very 
very good conversation. Our next one, oh my goodness, this is going to be the easiest to prep for, the hardest to actually talk for. Our next bracket is the Renaissance, the bracket that I know everybody wants us to talk about. And celebration of Beyonce. <laughs> what? <laughs> celebration. <laughs> okay. We all have a Beyonce podcast? Okay, it's fine. Uh, count me out. John, you want to come back for the Renaissance? I would love to. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Probably get a few more people on board as well. Yes, we got to. Yeah. We got to. That's going to be fun. Thank you for giving up your uh, your fro- a frozen evening, John, to talk with us about. Yes. Uh, yeah, I had so many other things on my schedule. So. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Thanks. This is great. Yeah, this is fun. Do uh, you have anything to plug? I feel like I should, but I don't. I just play French horn. That's what I do. Uh, you can follow Disney Versus on Facebook at facebook.com slash Disney Versus. You can follow us on Twitter at Disney BS. I promise I will try to do more on all of the medias. I have been slacking and I apologize. You can also follow us on Instagram at Disney Versus Podcasts. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Please give us a five-star review and or leave us a comment to let us know what you think of this show. Like I said, our next show is going to be the Renaissance. It's Grace is super excited. <laughs> I have the list up. You what? I have the list up of movies. Oh, everyone knows what the Renaissance is. It's... Do they though? I I would not know all of these. Everything um, that came I'm out in the nineties. Very excited. Uh, one of those came out in '89. Thank you very much. Everything that came out in the '90s plus The Little Mermaid. I'm gonna read it anyway because I think other people would be excited because they don't think about Disney like we think about Disney. So, <laughs> the Renaissance era, arguably the most interesting era for Disney. Uh, we have The Little Mermaid, The Rescuers Down Under, uh, Beauty and the Beast, uh, Aladdin, Lion King. Pocahontas, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Hercules, Mulan, Tarzan. I am excited to see where this goes because I know that Tori has some hot takes that are incorrect and I want to prove him wrong. So please engage with us on social media so that I can prove him wrong. We'll see. We'll see how that goes then. All right. Thank you for listening as always. And we'll see y'all next episode. Goodbye. Aloha. Auf Zane. Bonsoir, Sarah Nora, and all those goodbye things, baby.